Welcome to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough Podcast, everybody. My guest today has been the audience's most requested return guest to date, a man who needs no introduction but is getting one anyway, Matthew Stapley. Many of you will remember Matthew from his first appearance on the Psychic Medium episode just a couple months ago. He's one of my favorite people, and I am so glad I could get him back in to talk again, this time about grief and the grieving process. I know it might sound really heavy to a lot of you, and it can be from time to time. But as we discuss, everyone loses someone or something that they love eventually. Most of you listening undoubtedly have, and I know I have too. That leads to something else we talk about. Life isn't over just because of this loss. The loss itself doesn't have to be a death to just be impactful on you. Just give the episode a listen, and you'll see what I mean. Let's get through these hard times together. Welcome back to the show fan favorite guest and just dumb enough endorsed best psychic on the planet matthew stapley hey how are you great how are you i'm great thanks for having me back on your show of course you were very highly requested and of course i always have an awesome time talking to you oh well likewise i had such a good time last time so i'm excited to be here again yeah so most of the time i haven't pulled anyone back because The show is so specific about like, hey, let's talk about your expertise. But with your background, you have so many well-developed areas of expertise because they all kind of mesh really interestingly. Yeah. Um, And sometimes not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I still make it work somehow. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. So we are back this time to talk about uh, grief and grieving Mm. and hopefully doing it properly. You know, I don't know that there is, there's, I don't know that there's a proper way to grieve. I think there's a healthy way to grieve. And I say that because everybody's process of grief, whether it be the passing of a loved one or whether it be life transition, uh, everybody has their own process. There's no real rule book with it. I think that there's definite like scary red flags, but there's no real rule book for somebody's emotional process with that. And, and uh, yeah, so I think it's not so much right or wrong. I think it's, is it healthy or unhealthy? Yeah. And that's a good way to, to say it because there are definitely some unhealthy coping mechanisms that I think but, we show a lot in like TV and movies. Is that an accurate number to how most people address it? You know, I think that the I, I think that we have to look at all the different kinds of movie and TV grieving scenes, because if you go to like, you know, old Italian movies, it's like the wife is throwing things at the casket, screaming for the first 45 minutes of a funeral, um, and, you know, and, and, and I'm just kidding mostly. But, you know, I think I think uh, the movies have it right. I think that they shorten the process dramatically, (laughs) but there are some movies, especially with transitional grief that I've seen. Um, There's a movie called wit by with Emma Thompson in it. No one has ever heard of it, but it's an amazing movie. And it's about a woman who is going through cancer treatment for stage four ovarian cancer. And her process of coming to terms with what's happening. I think that's probably one of the more accurate portrayals I've ever seen. Interesting. I've never seen it. So this is the first time I'm hearing it. (laughs) 
so it just like actually buy stocks in the Kleenex company and then watch it because it's that <laughs> intense. It's so good though. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to buy it right before I put this episode out, and then hopefully everyone <laughs> goes and listens to it and we just <laughs> right. blow up the market. No kidding. Yeah, so every movie that I've seen, people are like drowning themselves in scotch and like laying on the floor, and they do that for you know several years at a time, and then the the movie picks up and they're just still like this disheveled husk. You know, I think that can definitely be the case for sure. Um, and you know, I think that the tendency to bring in unhealthy coping mechanisms is high at the beginning of grief, right? Because if you think about what's happening when somebody loses somebody, even if they were prepared for it, even if they knew it was coming, it's still a shock. You still have to get used to the person that you cared about not being immediately available, either by telephone or going to visit them or, or whatever. And so people in that process are really, there is a period of emotional realization that it's even happened, even if they were expecting it. And you'll see with a lot of people in, in real life anyway, that, you know, their loved one passes away and they're immediately heartbroken, obviously, then they go through the funeral and that still doesn't quite feel real, you know? And then after that, when, when everything quiets down and the bulk of the people that, had stepped up to help kind of go back to their own lives. That's when, when most people's grieving really begins and it's, it's heartbreaking. And it, it's a process that is so solitary in the sense that you can have people around you that had also lost the person. You can have people that have lost people in similar ways or situations, and you will still feel like it's just you going through that process. And I think that might be one of the most heartbreaking parts of all of it, but it's also one of the most natural parts of all of it as well. Yeah. And I'll lay out all of my information that I have on this topic right off the bat, because I always feel so impressed at myself that I'm like, oh, I remember the five stages of grieving, right? Mm. Denial, anger, bargaining, uh, depression, and then acceptance. Uh, that is right, right? I'm not that, making a huge idiot out of no, myself. That's that that was written. So that that was theoretical. It was written by I think it was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross, if I'm remembering correctly. And it was it was that was actually originally the stages of accepting death. So when someone told they were terminally ill, those would be the stages that they would go through. They did kind of find over time that it wasn't as you know cut and dry as all of that. But I think in general, if we took all of those pieces and we made copies of them and then we stuck them all into a blender. <laughs> put it on high, whatever came out of that, I think would be, would be accurate because there are elements of bargaining. There are elements of denial. There are elements of, of all of those things. So is it, is it right? In a sense, I think the part that, that is maybe inaccurate is that there's an order because a lot of these, a lot of people when they're grieving, I know this from working with clients for the last 19 years is that there's a lot of repeating of, of cycles within the grief process. It's never a linear process. It's a, a lateral process. Yeah. That was kind of my first question after, you know, I wrote that down as I was like, is it really this like neat and tidy? Because no. I've certainly had, you know, some people pass away in my life where it's like, it hurt to find out. Mm. Um, there was no, like, I didn't deny it. And I wasn't really angry about it. And I, I definitely wasn't like bargaining with any, any power over this, but it, like it hurt and I was sad, but it was like a very quick trip to acceptance where yeah. it, it was just like, Oh, 
that really sucks, but I guess that's it. Yeah. And I think that, that some people that is their process as well. I mean, for me personally, and this has nothing to do with being a medium, but I've always tended to accept passings very, very well, accept death very, very well. And even as a a little kid, when someone said, Oh, your grandfather passed away, I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, that that was it. Um, And it didn't mean that I didn't, you know, miss my family when they pass, pass away or that I'm not emotionally impacted by it. It's just that everyone has a different process. Now, when my mom passed away, it was different. And when my pet rat passed away, believe it or not, it was like totally different. So you know, I think, I think that everyone's process is so individual and, and no two grieving processes look the same really. And some people have a very outward process where they want to seek support. They want to be around other people who are going through it or have just gone through loss as well. Um, other people are the opposite. They just want to crawl into bed and stay there for however long, you know, months, years, sometimes even. And, and I think that, all of that is as hard as it is to go through. There's a beauty in that because what they're really doing in that process is they're learning how to bridge with their loved ones still on some level, because part of that acceptance, um, part of that process of, of the anxiety of losing somebody is really about not knowing where to put that love anymore or that connection or that, you know, communication that we, that we sometimes as humans take for granted. And so part of the process of grieving is really about getting to know their loved one in a new way, in a different way, even if they're not spiritual, even if they're not religious, even if they believe that when you're gone, you're just in the ground and that's it, it still changes the relationship, but relationships never end. Um, they're always just in, in progress or in process. So, you know, I think when people are going through that, um, that's part of the reason it's so individual. Every relationship is individual. Every person approaches um, connection with the universe around them differently. And so because of that, there is no real clear cut path. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of where I was going to start. Cause I'm like, everything is so individual. You know, you feel it so much more with certain people or, you know, whatever it is, you know, how do you, how do you start grieving? Like, where does it begin? You know, I think grief is intelligent in a sense. I think that it it knows exactly when to start. There are times where people push away their grief, which is that sort of denial uh, aspect of losing somebody. But I think that eventually it will always surface. You know, we're as human beings, I think we're kind of built on resolution. If you think about it, even at like a, a I mean, you and me both have healthcare backgrounds. So like, even if you look at the the body at a, um, at a physiological level, it's constantly resolving things. It's taking in, you know, several, you know, different chemical compounds and finding some way to maintain homeostasis as it's taking things up and letting things go and processing things at a chemical level. Um, and then if you look at us at a sociological level, um, we're always wanting to learn things or, you know, a lot of people's relationships are built on conflict and resolution and finding balance. And when somebody doesn't know something, they go out to learn it. Well, that's also a process of resolution. So I think because we're constantly in the process of resolving things, um, you know, I, wow, I completely forgot what I was going to say. So this is an example of how Matthew will talk forever. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I mean, that's part of what people enjoy. I think about like our last conversation was just so like open and candid, even from the like, Hey, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? 
and you're like, I like long walks on the beach. Like, <laughs> yeah. The amount of comments, <laughs> yeah, the amount of comments I've gotten about like, is that how he chose to introduce himself? I'm like, yeah, it was great. It's the perfect introduction. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little weird occasionally. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it it feels like one of those things that like if you're not ready to start it, like it's not. You can't just be like, hey, where's the on switch? No, exactly. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. So because we're naturally built on resolution, I think that um, it's a process that's bound to happen. I mean, we're not, uh, we don't really have a pause <laughs> in, in our makeup. Uh, we will always move forward. And the emotional pressure that comes from loss is huge. I mean, it's like turning the pressure cooker up to a million degrees Celsius, which is, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and waiting for just, you know, waiting for it to go off. I mean, we can only suppress something for so long before it impacts us either physically, emotionally, mentally at a life path level. So I think we can try to hold it back all we want, but eventually it will come to surface. Well, and it's kind of the the mental equivalent of like tipping a candle over in your house, mm, you know, totally. if it, like it's a small fire. And at first you don't really have to like rush to take care of it. Yeah. But you if can you even leave go it get alone, a marshmallow or two and wait. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get rid of this table anyway, but uh, eventually like you're going to burn your house down. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And if you look at if you look at the way that our emotions affect our body, I mean, it's, ins it's insanely both terrifying and also impressively impressive and interesting what our brains and our minds will do with all of that energy and where it will put it when we aren't able to in the moment process it. It's crazy. Yeah. I think, you know, when you said that, like the way your body reacts to it, I think the craziest example of that, that I have seen over and over again is a uh, broken heart syndrome, I think, mm. or lonely heart syndrome, whichever it is where like, you know, these people have been together for decades and one of them passes and they say like, it is almost inevitable that unless they like are extremely accepting of the fact they've had some time to deal with it, like the other person is going to pass on within six yeah. months. Like it's just yeah. gonna... that, that one is, I, I do find that interesting. You know, when I was in, in college, a long time ago, um, <laughs> I uh, I was taking this course in palliative care and the teacher talked about something called soul pain. And she told us this really interesting story of there was a woman um, who is, I don't know if she was in her fifties or something, and she was admitted to the hospital with like severe pain. No doctors could figure out where it was coming from. There was no visible cause of illness. They did all the tests, but she was in this excruciating pain. So they put her on a bunch of opiates and, and, you know, admitted her to the hospital so they could try and figure out what to do. And this was like a Catholic hospital. And so there were like nuns and, you know, nice people that would come and sit with you. And a nun came to the woman's room and said, Oh, can I come sit with you? And this woman said, I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, I don't want to be around anybody. I'm not interested. And so the nun said, well, maybe I'll just, you know, like sit in the corner and we don't have to talk. And the woman basically said, okay, whatever. <laughs> sure. So go sit in the corner, knock yourself out, knock yourself out. Um, and so, so a few, this nun kept coming for a few days and eventually the woman started talking to her and this woman was on a lot of, I don't know, it was morphine dilated, like some pretty strong stuff. And eventually she told the nun that when she was in her thirties, that she had aborted a pregnancy. 
And within seconds of that leaving her mouth, the woman crashed. She completely just vitals crashed because she overdosed instantly. Um, and so this brought up the idea of soul pain. So something that you hold on to that you feel either shame or guilt or whatever for at such a profound level for such a long time can impact our body. And so what had happened when they revived her was that the pain had completely disappeared. So she was holding all of that emotional pressure and judgment and self-hatred at such a physical level that it was manifesting as physical pain. And then of course, when that, the pressure cooker lid came off in that moment where she told the nun what had happened, you know, all of, all of the drugs basically became too much. They, they weren't required <laughs> anymore and the body crashed. So I think that's also another really interesting example of how we place things in our body. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely interesting to go from that moment of like, I need this painkiller or I'm going to, you know, like exhaust my heart mm-hmm. um, versus like, you, you no longer need any of it. Your body's like, Hey, what do I do with all these opioids? I guess we <laughs> <Yeah>. just flatline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess that's what had happened. And, um, so yeah, I learned, you know, from that and I, how old was I? I think I was about 20 years old when I was taking that in that course. And, uh, I never, ever forgot that, that that can happen. And then I've seen it play out over the years with clients or myself, even when we don't deal with, with things, um, or we don't know how to deal with things and we just, they pile up, uh, it can really impact us. When I, I developed a heart arrhythmia during a major heart, emotional heartbreak. Um, and that was many years ago, but that was another example. I think of like, my heart was physically breaking, even though it was an emotional pain It was really, really strange. Yeah. Over the years, I read a lot about like the emotional trauma that I've seen. And that's one of them that they bring up is that there is, and I don't remember the term for it, but there is like an emotional condition that can cause the tendons in your heart to just spontaneously snap. And that's what people say when they're like, you feel heartbreak. They're like, you can literally feel heartbreak and it's actually damaging. You know, I, I completely believe that, you know, I, I think sometimes our, systems, you know, like our, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetic, all of that. I think that, that they're very underestimated and how, how, how powerful they actually are, but also how intelligent they are as well. You know, I think at the end of the day, we actually, on some level, our body knows what it needs to heal. Um, but I think part of healing is bringing in all of the different layers of self into alignment or into balance. You know, when I work with my clients, um, my goal with healing is just to increase flow where there wasn't any, where it's needed, where there should be flow, whether, whether that's mentally or emotionally. I mean, obviously I don't work physically with people, but at a mental, emotional level, trying to bring, um, yeah, bring a flow back to where it had stopped. And all this kind of makes me think about, you know, the way that grief can come on. And some of that feels like you can experience it you know, while the person is still with you and you just know, you know, for instance, that movie with where there's no other alternative, you mm. know, for sure that your loved one is going to die. Yeah. How do you have that, those final conversations? You know, I'm a big fan of letting it all out um, in a, you know, obviously in a healthy balanced way, but I think that if we know someone's going to pass away and we are blessed enough, because a lot of people don't get that opportunity to say goodbye, if we're blessed enough to have a final moment with our loved one, 
I think that we need to say whatever we need to say. You know, I, I don't think it should be held back. Even if it's hard stuff, I think it's important. Because one thing that I see a lot when in the aftermath of losing somebody, because obviously a lot of people come to me because they've lost somebody and they want to communicate with them. What I've noticed a lot is the amount of regret people carry and, and often about things that really they should they shouldn't be holding on to against themselves like that, but but they do. Um, and so one of the things that I've noticed is is that a lot of unsaid words when there could have been, or a lot of I wish that I would have told them I loved them before they passed, or I wish I would have told them I was angry at them even before they passed. Um, and, and I've seen this both with people who knew their loved one was going to pass away, and I've seen it with people where it was a shock. But but I think that because of that, I think it's important that we are open to having those those experiences at the end of life. And, and obviously, we want to be aware of their comfort and all of that, for sure. But I think that it's important that if that if there's unfinished business that we try to find some way to finish it if we can. Yeah. And in that way, it does seem very, you know, fortunate to have the knowledge that, hey, we know that this person is dying like mm. this is your time you can clear up everything that you ever wanted to say to them now yeah you know versus when it just happens when it's yeah. sudden no i think you're right i mean i came out to my grandmother when she was in her her, her end of life coma so you know i think that that we we can all um i think that we can all find some way to do that even if it's not easy sometimes it's really hard yeah, somebody's going to give me a really hard time for this, but I actually wrote a quote down that like has always lodged in my brain since I heard it, but it was said by Griffin McElroy on one of his many, many shows for those that are mm. familiar with him. And he said, when someone leaves your life, those exits are not made equal. Some are beautiful and poetic and satisfying. Others are abrupt and unfair, but most are just unremarkable, unintentional, and clumsy. Hmm. I think that's pretty friggin' accurate if you ask me. And and whether that's somebody passing away or whether that's just somebody exiting our lives. No, I think that I think that's true. I, and I think that as human beings, we sometimes I think we we live on some level unconsciously in our relationships, right? And and I think that's an example of that unremarkable, unclumsy side of things. Um, I think that. I think if there's one thing we can learn from death, it's to appreciate people while, while we can. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think part of that quote that just like sticks is that everyone has had all of those things. If you've been, mm. you know, fortunate enough to live, you know, of, of life with people in it, you know, you have had some of those endings where it's like, it was, you know, there was a beauty to it because it's like, you got to see it coming so far mm. out like that was mine with my grandmother is that she was diagnosed with terminal cancer in like 2000 went wow. into remission twice then had lymphoma and finally died in like 2006 wow um, yeah she just like told all the doctors to stuff it you know <laughs> like, she's like i don't care what you're saying to me six months give me six years like she Aww. just just went on and so there was like this beauty to seeing mm. her just keep pushing through it and then finally like reaching the end of a, a very long road traveled. Um, and then there are like, I've lost people very abruptly and it's like, it does feel very unfair, but 
I think, you know, everyone has that experience where it's just like people just make an exit yeah, and there's, yeah. there's nothing else to it. You, you kind of just left stunned. You know, it's true. I, when my mom passed away, I feel like I had a bit of both because she passed away suddenly from a, a, like a, a brain issue and really like she, I I always forget if it was a stroke or an aneurysm. I believe it was an aneurysm. No, it was a stroke. Sorry, it was a stroke. Um, So she passed away from a stroke. And I mean, me and my ex were making my parents dinner and then she had got a headache and my stomach dropped. And I said, oh, she needs to go to the hospital. Like she had no other stroke symptoms, but other than a headache, but I just had this gut feeling like she needs to go to the ER. And within 10 minutes of arriving in the ER, she crashed into a coma and she passed away eight days later. But I feel like I was kind of blessed and our family was blessed because we had that eight days, you know, and even though it was a roller coaster and one minute it looked like she was getting better and the next it looked like she was never going to recover. Um, Even though we had all of that, I think that we kind of got a chance to on some level take care of her because she was always taking care of everybody else. She was one of those people that was ultimately generous and charitable and compassionate. And yeah, it was, it was a hard loss, but I'm, I think that if she would have passed away instantly, it would have been unmanageably brutal. And I think if we would have known that she was going to pass for months, it would have been really, really hard as well. So I feel like, you know, for at least for our family and everyone's different, the eight days, that we had, I think was, was a a huge blessing. Yeah, I can see that. And it's weird to think about, you know, but to try and like put myself in her shoes for the moment being where I'm like, is that the, the way I would want it? And I would think yes, because like, it's, it's quick enough, at least, you know, for you that you don't have that, like, you don't have the eight days where you have to like sit and think about your life and what might be Mm. left undone. And like, you don't have any like regret period. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. You know, but you still leave everyone with like, you know, the amount of time they need to kind of get it together. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. You know, and I, I don't think I've ever lost anybody suddenly and unexpectedly like friends. Yes, but never like family. It's always been, we've always had at least a few days where we knew this was going to happen. Uh, I, I, my heart goes out to anybody who instantly loses somebody where they're here one second and gone the next, which happens more often than not. And I can't even imagine how hard that would be. And there's a really bizarre version of that. And I think it's, greatly lessened by the fact that obviously I'm not close to these people, but living in the age that we do, you have the ability to kind of find people that you used to know online. Mm -hmm. And so I have, you know, in putting the show together, I thought, you know, it would be really fun would be to reach out to some old friends, you know, have them on the show, talk about whatever it is they've been doing for the last, you know, decade plus that I've been out of high school you know, talk about their professions, their experiences and everything like that. And then like, I looked at a couple of my friends' pages on Facebook because I don't use it very often. I looked at their pages and I just see like, you know, we miss you. Yeah. Posted on there. And I'm like, I had no idea that this person died Mm -hmm. and it's very sudden for me. Yeah. To, like experience in that moment, but it is like everybody else has known for years. And I'm like, man, that's how out of touch I was with this person. That would, and I think that that's, I've had that happen as well. And I've always felt like, 
like I've always felt like I, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, obviously there's a moment of sadness, but then I'm like, wow, like I, I feel heart heartbroken, but do I have a right to feel heartbroken because I haven't seen this person in forever? You know, there was always like these weird, this sort of weird paradox of emotions when that would happen to me. And then I re remembered, um, yes, everyone has a right to feel however they happen to feel in the moment. But I, I can relate to that, that almost spookiness of it. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those that like, if I looked at the stages, obviously I did not go through all of them, but I did go through a couple really fast. Like every time I have seen that on social media, there's a denial to it. And like, until I find the original post where somebody tells me what happened, it's still not real to me. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of people pulling a very elaborate prank just on me, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I have to find the original post, see what happened. Like, what is the story behind this? And then there's like a very brief period of like, wow, that's, that's really upsetting. Um, and then I'm like, I guess there's nothing to be done. Like I'm three years late to the party. What am I going to say? Yeah. Well, you know, and I think a lot of people feel that way, even when they did know right up front as well. Like, um, I think people get really stuck on knowing what, how, especially if they're not an immediate family member or an immediate friend in the moment of someone's passing, like a lot of people feel stuck and, okay, how do I express this? How do I, how do I, you know, show my, my solidarity with this loss and not wanting to overstep, um, but also wanting to make sure that they uh, have a space to experience their own pain. It's a challenging thing. I think it's hard to be grieving somebody who's an immediate loved one, it's, I think, hard in, in a di slightly different way to grieve somebody that isn't. I knew a lady who used to just basically go to funerals. It didn't matter if she knew the person directly or not. She would just feel absolutely overwhelmed with the loss of somebody. And I thought at first, I thought it was a little weird. But then, then I realized it was actually quite beautiful that if somebody's great, great uncle's old dog walkers, ex-girlfriend's sister passed away, she would be there at that funeral and truly there at a heart level. It was actually beautiful. I think if we all allowed ourselves to fully experience our emotional connection with the world around us, we might all be a little bit like that. Yeah. I feel like I remember this old, almost folktale at this point now, uh, where the story came up a decade or more ago, where they were talking about this old man who just kept you know, coming to funerals mm. and they said so often, like the turnout was so low that everyone was asking how he knew the person. And he said, I don't, but everyone deserves to have somebody at their funeral. See, I love that. I think that's beautiful. And I think the, in the U S I don't know if Canada does this or not, but in the U S when a soldier passes away, I believe there is uh, usually a woman that's sent to basically observe the funeral for that purpose even if they're you know there are family or friends there i forget what that's called but i'm i'm quite certain i'm quite certain it's the u.s that has that and it's a woman who's like her job is to go to these funerals and just observe them just be there and i think that's uh heart-wrenching but amazing yeah i mean i cannot imagine the emotional drain that would come with that job yeah, same here. Um, or or people who do death doula work. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. I have not. 
So, you know, like a, how a doula, a birth doula is present, you know, the end of, well, throughout actually a woman's pregnancy and they're there when they give birth and they help with aftercare and all of that. A death doula is kind of like, you know, well, I guess if birth doulas are like the receiving department, death doulas are like the shipping department for planet earth. Um, and so they're there to walk somebody through their end of life and then help afterwards with the family. I think it's a beautiful and amazing thing. It's a, it's a form of palliative care and I can't imagine how rewarding, but hard that would be as well. Um, because those people, their job is to basically ensure a safe, comfortable exit. And they do a lot of like advocacy and they do a lot of emotional work where they're helping the person to basically tie up anything they want to tie up at the end of their life. I think it's beautiful, but again, it reminds me of that sort of difficult job that, that the person who attends funerals, uh, would have. Absolutely. And it's kind of like, I don't know why this was the thought that popped into my head. I was like, it's kind of like inheriting an uncle, you know, yeah. somebody who's just like, they're there. They knew the person before they passed and they're here to help you with the funeral and all the other arrangements. Uh, you know, it's kind of, it feels like inheriting someone. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Doesn't it? I think it's beautiful though. Really? Like if we, I think if we could all have that kind of physical angel at any point of transition, whether it's the loss of a loved one or, or our own passings or, you know, just, just a moment that's really challenging. Like if everyone who breaks up in a coffee shop walked out the door with, you know, that's tears streaming down their face and just was embraced by somebody and said, it's going to be okay. Like, I think our world would be so different. I, I think we need to start like the, I don't know, the emotional embrace earth angels agency. And all they do all day is just show up right when someone needs a hug. I think our world would be totally different. I say, look for your new openings at local Starbucks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With like a table, please break up and have other emotionally disconcerting conversations here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. like, Angel lineup here. <laughs> yes. Somebody in the back, like looks over to the corner. They see somebody in the booth. They take the apron off, throw it, run outside <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Wait for them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. That, it reminds me of like every 90s movie, like rom-com scene where, you know, the, the usually it's the girl for whatever reason, men didn't get heartbroken in the eighties and nineties. Um, not, they weren't allowed to until the last few years, as I'm sure, you know, um, but uh, the, there's always that scene of like the girl who's heartbroken and she is in the bath and it's like a music playing in the background. And there's the eyeliner streaming down her face and she gets out and she's an entirely new person. And the amount of times I've tried to make that happen for myself is a lot, but it reminds me of the, <laughs> the Starbucks breakup angels. That'd be really good. Um, but it, it makes me think about, because I don't think most of us know what to do in these situations. You know, what do you do to kind of support your friends? If this mm. is the, if they're going through the grieving process, either they're, someone is terminally ill or they just lost someone. What am I supposed to do and say, you know, that is a question that I've been asked many times. And I, I mean, I can definitely say what not to do <laughs> for sure. Um, so when somebody loses somebody, the first thing that most people do is say, okay, I will, can I cook for you? Can I help come over and clean your house and all of those things? There's a few things that a lot of uh, mistakes that are big mistakes that people make completely innocently when somebody passes away. The first one is cleaning the house. And the reason why that's a mistake that, or it can be a mistake sometimes is that 
when someone loses somebody, especially if it was sudden, um, that beer can or that pop bottle or that cigarette butt that you're wanting to throw away might be the last thing they touched. And the person who's grieving might be very aware of that. And they want to keep that at least for a while, if not forever. And so that's one, one mistake that a lot of people make. Another one, a lot of people make is they will, uh, do the laundry. And so the risk with that is of course, you know, the person's perfume or cologne that was on the last sweater that they wore is now does not smell like them anymore. So there's those types of mistakes. I think the big things to do is to offer help, um, to be persistent with it, respecting that they do need alone time, that they need that sort of inner cave hermit period of their grieving process, that solitude. Um, but, but kind of checking in with them frequently to see if they need anything, if they can help. And then the other thing that's really important is, is if you're going to offer help to a grieving person to be consistent. Um, so if you offer help, make sure you can provide the help. If you can't provide the help, find somebody, find somebody else who can real quick, because they've just been destabilized. Everything that they knew is solid ground in their lives suddenly isn't. And so if people want to help, then providing comfort through stability is very, very important. And then of course, the other side of that is look out for red flags. If it looks like the grieving process is becoming unhealthy and moving towards like an emotional mental crisis, then having a, a bit of a plan internally is how, as to who you're going to call and how you're going to get this person the help that they need uh, is also very important. Um, things like offering to drive them places is excellent. Things like offering to cook for them is excellent. Offering to clean the house is great. Just make sure that you don't throw out anything unless they tell you to or wash anything unless they specifically tell you to. So all of those things I think can be really helpful. One of the hard things that I've experienced, I know most people do is when is at the funeral, you know, all the people come out of the woodwork and be, and from those beautiful place in their hearts. And, you know, they want to be there to support and share their love and their memories and everything. And there's always this period of time where everyone says, let's get together. You know, we haven't seen you in 10 years, but let's go for dinner. Let's go for coffee. Let's hang out. And, and I think it's always very well-meaning. I think it always comes from a truly pure place, but what often happens is once the funeral's over and a week goes by, everyone goes back to their own lives and they kind of forget about those promises. Whereas the grieving person does not forget that usually in the moment, that's what kind of what they're holding on to, to get them through the next little while, because a part of getting through grieving is breathing. A part of it, a little part of it is even distraction, like having something to do to keep you busy. And so I would also urge people if they're going to say, let's hang out, make it happen. Yeah. And I think I got this from a comedian. I'm going to go ahead and credit Daniel Schloss because mm -hmm. I think it was one of his specials where he says like the thing he needed was for somebody to be normal for him. Yeah, He's yeah. like, you know, everyone's coming up to me. What can I do for you? I'm so sorry for your loss. What can I do? And he goes, all I wanted was for somebody to treat me the exact same way they did before this happened. Yeah. And now I can totally understand the, the wanting of that for sure. And, and for, yeah. And for me, that was mostly like a few years later, like after my mom passed away and I've had a lot of relatives pass away, but after my mom passed away, um, I think it was like five or six years later, people I hadn't seen in a while said, Oh, it must be so hard for you still. And it wasn't, it's never been easy. There's been moments where it's hard, but you, you do adjust over time. It, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it definitely gets different for sure. And, and in a good way, um, at least, at least that was my experience of it. Um, and so people were almost, I felt like they were trying to haul me backwards. Like they were trying to bring me back into 
hard grief. And uh, so I can relate to, to what that comedian says for sure. And I think probably many people can. Yeah. Oh, is it hard for you? It'd be a lot easier if you quit bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that I think that everyone's a little bit different that way. Some people really need to talk about their loved one, the loss, the pain, all of that. And I think that's a beautiful process. Other people want to process that more internally within themselves. And that's okay too. Like I said at the, the beginning, it's really, is it healthy or not? Are we, are we diving into a crisis or are we getting through it? And as long as somebody's getting through it, then I think that that's the good, that that's a good thing. I think that whatever they bring into their process, as long as it, um, lit, it brings them forward, not sends them backwards. I think it's, it's, um, that for sure valid. Yeah, I agree. I think you're totally right. You know, like don't hold people back, but don't, I think equally important, don't try and like shove them forward either. No. And, you know, and the like, truth is you can't like every, everybody's emotional processes is, is their own. Like it would be like telling somebody, okay, it's five o'clock. You've cried for five minutes. That's all that you've been scheduled for. Put the tears back and move on with your day or tell the headache to come back later. I mean, it just doesn't work. Uh, we have to allow for, for the unfolding of it. Yeah. So I had a couple of questions. I think sure. I want to ask one of them is a, uh, a listener question. And then uh, one of them uh, I just came up through conversation. So the first one is, you know, why am I more affected by pets than by people? You know, if I lose my pet, like, why is that more upsetting than my grandfather? Mm, that's a really good question. You know, I think it's because we have a different type of relationship with our pets. So for example, like with our animals, they usually sit on us unless you have a pet elephant, then hopefully not, but you know, they sit on us, we pet them. We also don't communicate the same way that we do with other people. We have to really learn what they're trying to tell us. We have to really connect with them at a very intimate level that we, we don't have to do that with people. And so the building of that connection creates a very strong emotional bond. And I think that's why a lot of people probably feel that loss at such a profound level because they had this whole other style of communication, this whole other type of physical communication as well that, that they didn't have with anybody else. And of course, a lot of pet owners feel that the, the pet that they have is under their care. So if that pet doesn't survive, even if it's old age, then they've done something wrong or they missed a step. And so there's a whole whack of whole whack of reasons that people grieve that at a, at a deep level. And I think what I'd like to say about it is that it's important that people are okay with that. Um, I know I've, I've seen clients even many times that have said, I know it's stupid, but I want to talk to my dog. And I always tell them, I don't care if the, if you want to talk to your potted cactus, if that's what, you know, if that's what touches your heart, if that's the bond that you want to, that you want to explore. And if we can build or bridge a communication with the spirit world on that, I'm good with it. Um, because everybody has different types of connections with the world around them, whether it be people or animals or plants or whatever. Um, I think all of it is valid. That makes sense. Um, I know I've definitely been impacted by like, you know, my animal far more than certain people. And mm. it's, it's like, it feels, you know, heart wrenching in the moment. And then you look back at it and you're like, well, maybe I, maybe I don't care enough about some of these people in my life. 
and it's hard to like justify like oh maybe i need to care about them more like maybe the maybe my pet meant more to me than these people do like that's a perfectly acceptable reason i think totally i was just gonna say and what's wrong with that i i I think that we try to stuff ourselves into boxes of shoulds and shouldn'ts a lot in our lives and i mean fair enough there are things we definitely should not do we should not kill people we should not wear only beige we should not stick our fingers in sockets i mean there's a lot of things as people that we shouldn't do (laughs) And, and so it makes sense but i think when it comes to building bonds and relationships and having an emotional experience uh i i don't know that those same boxes apply really so that leads to the other one that uh was a listener question that i actually want to bring up now which is is it considered grieving at the end of a relationship, which we talked a little bit about with the Starbucks barista angel, but uh, is that grieving? Yeah, of course it's grieving. In fact, even, even sometimes when it's a good relationship that ends, even sometimes if it is a, you know, if let, let's say you end a relationship with somebody that was not the nicest person or just didn't work out anymore, or even if it's a completely amicable Hey, we've become best friends. Let's break up, break up. I think grieving is a natural part of that process. We can feel empowered and joyful at the same time as sad and missing what couldn't be because grieving at the end of the day, it's about what couldn't be anymore, you know? So I think that it's completely acceptable to say that that's grieving hundred percent, even, even leaving a job for a new one. I mean, it's all the same framework in my mind. Yeah. And that's an interesting thought because, you know, in our traditional grieving, like you can't necessarily talk to this person anymore, but if you look at it like, oh, it's the people that I left behind at my old job, or it's the Mm -hmm. girlfriend that I broke up with, or the boyfriend or whoever it was that you broke up with, that person does still exist. Like they're, you know, they're in the city over or whatever it might be. For sure, but not in not in the same way anymore. And so maybe, maybe the real definition of grief or grieving is it really is about change and you know ad- adjusting to a new set of circumstances. I think, I mean that I don't think I think that scratches the surface of it. If I'm being totally honest, but I think yeah, I think that I think that anytime we have a loss, even if it's a happy one there's still a process of adjustment. Our lives still have to be rearranged in some way. And, and I don't think that it means that the level of it is different. I knew somebody that had said that they wish the person died and instead of divorced them. I know people who have said, I wish that they would have lived even though I didn't want to be with them anymore. So, you know, I think that everybody is a little bit different that way. I can see that. And it gives a whole new meaning to like, they might not be dead, but they're dead to me. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I think that if people were to really look at their own life transitions, they would see the way that grieving plays out. And even when it's not a loss of a person or a pet or a cactus or whatever, (laughs) whatever, whatever um, kind of loss you have, whether it's somebody passing away or whether it's changing and going into a different direction, I think that um, everyone would probably notice elements of grieving in, in their life transitions. Yeah, of course. So that all leads to the question, you know, does the length of the relationship affect this process? I don't think so. I don't. I think the depth of the relationship affects the process. So if you met somebody at 
I don't know, 12 o'clock on Saturday fell instantly in love. And it was like the most amazing 24 hours ever. And then they got hit by a car and died. I think that that could be a profound grieving moment. Think about all the things that could never have happened, that, that can't happen now. And so I think that's an example of the depth of a relationship. If, if you know somebody for a million years, but you know, you don't really have a strong connection. You don't have a, an interaction on a regular basis, or even if you do, and all it is, is waving the person from, I don't know, from the train window as you're departing from the, the platform. Um, but you do that all the time in your commute to work. You may not always feel it as deeply, even though there is some level of connection. So I think length of time doesn't matter. I think depth of connection is what matters. I think you're correct. Um, it just makes me think about, you know, some of the things I've heard where they're like, oh, it's a, a month for every year that you knew them. And that seems like a clean answer, right? but, but it doesn't necessarily feel true. You know, no, like when, exactly. my, when my grandfather passed away um, just last year, uh, when my grandfather passed away, like I had known him for, you know, several decades, of course, mm. of my life. And uh, like, there, it was a very short grieving process. So yeah. like, I, I didn't have, I'm not still suffering and expecting another, you know, two years or whatever that the math would work out to. Like, I'm not still expecting to be suffering next year because I'm not doing it now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that when, when anyone tries to quantify a process that is not quantifiable, um, I think that they're, they're, it reminds me of those quizzes you see in magazines where it's like, does he really love you? And like, um, those kinds of things. And it's like this sort of inventory. Uh, I don't think those are particularly accurate. I think that as human beings, we want to quantify things. We want it to be clean cut. We don't like messy, but the truth is that human life is about as messy as you can get mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sociologically. I mean, we are not clean beings at all but I can see why we want to be because our world is based on efficiency. And so, you know, if we know that we have a a day or two of bereavement uh, from work that we want to get as much of that grieving done so we can be productive again. And unfortunately it doesn't work like that. I think if our world was structured differently, we wouldn't see as many things like that. I think it would be more understandable to not um, quantify things at such a profound level i mean it's like trying to catch a cloud it's not going to work yeah it makes me think when you talk about you know bereavement from work the place i work has a bereavement process and it's like uh you get you know three days or whatever it is and it has to be taken all consecutively and all immediately wow and i'm like is that the best way to give these days like couldn't you just say here's here's 30 hours Go use that however you want to use that whenever you want to use that. But this is 30 hours. Yeah, I think that would make more sense because some people in the first three days, other than planning a funeral or memorial or a celebration of life, I mean, there's not really a lot of time. There's not a lot of time when somebody passes away at first to really do any of the emotional work because you're busy settling, you know, anything that they left behind. So yeah, I think that's honestly, I think it's dumb. I think that I think it's uh, profoundly optimistic in not a good way. Yeah, I can agree with that. And it's like even while I've been at this job, which has not been a super long time, the process has improved because it used to be like, oh, is it your mother, your father, 
or a sibling or your spouse mm. no then it's just one day oh my god that's terrible and i'm like and one and in some cases i had my aunt um and they were like it doesn't qualify at all that's just and crazy. I'm like, she's close enough that like she's closer than some family members have been to me and they're like yeah it's i mean that sucks but you know get back to it <laughs> that's just i just can't imagine telling somebody that this is probably why I work with myself and for myself, you know, because I, I can't, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine telling somebody, I'm sorry, your feelings aren't important enough or, or whatever to warrant that. I also think mental health days should really be an actual thing in workforces, but yeah. (laughs) Well, there are some, some areas of the world, right. That are trying at least to push that. Yes. Yeah, thankfully, and some some areas of uh, some areas of the world as well are changing the structure of their work week. So, for example, they uh, they only do four days instead of five, or or whatever. I think that that is a good move because, as human beings, like we're really not meant to sleep for you know eight hours a night consecutively and then work for eight hours of a day, you know, five plus days a week. That's not actually like our. It's not a sustainable system for our bodies to function in so i'm glad that it's slowly starting to change yeah when i started this job i was like oh it's only four days a week that's awesome and they're like oh they're 10 hour days and i'm like oh so still 40 hours a week there it is (laughs) (laughs) okay i think i would die honestly i for a lot of reasons but i i definitely uh i take my hat off to anybody who can sustain sustain that i i I know i wouldn't be able to it would be brutal and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people do burn out in those situations eventually, um, because it takes very little to flip that balance in our lives. And it's, it's scary thing. Yeah. It's part of why I, I really enjoy like my podcasting schedule, despite having to like fit it into wherever my wacky life kind of leads it to fit in. But like, I can do an interview in the morning. I can do an interview at night. Sometimes I do both. Like, and I take weird naps in the middle, but I enjoy doing it. And it's not necessarily like, oh, you need to clock in at eight and you need to clock out at five. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that reminds me of my schedule. Like I see obviously clients and teach classes and things like that, but I will get I'll be lying in bed at like 11 o'clock at night and just get this idea of like, oh my gosh, I need to write about this right now and post it. And then, you know, all, all the things like that. So I can relate to that. I I personally like that better of just, you know, having it everywhere, (laughs) having it all over the place. Yeah. And while, while we're talking about your work, I should give you this time to, you know, kind of plug all the things you do because you're very busy um, and you do a lot of really important things that I think everybody needs to know about. Oh, thank you. Well, um, let's add it. Well, yes. So I, <laughs> my Facebook page, if anyone wants to connect, it's uh, Matthew Stapley or facebook.com slash Canadian psychic. I also teach psychic and mediumship development classes. So I've got a six week course coming up at the end of April, uh, as well as an advanced class uh, coming up in June. And then I do meditation and messages nights. So I basically like channel a, med- a guided meditation in the moment. And then after that, I do readings and messages for the people in the chat. And that's, um, 
that's a uh, private event done through Zoom. And every Monday night at 7 p.m., I go live and do readings and, and spirit communication over Facebook Live, which is now it's on Facebook and TikTok and the Twitch. Um, I Twitch now, apparently. Mm. Um, and YouTube. So it's kind of broadcast across all of those. And then Friday night is craft night, which is usually around 8 p.m. Eastern time. And it's just a hangout. You know, I throw the video on. Sometimes I make crafts. Mostly we just talk about a, a mix of very highly relevant and highly also highly inappropriate things because it's Friday after dark. So you know, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You're like, this is the late night show. Come in and, and say whatever's yeah. on your mind. You know what? And it's it, it is such a mixed bag in the most fun possible way. Uh, like last Friday, we talked about the dangers of macrame and how it's, you know, this insidious disease of the wall that spreads constantly throughout somebody's <laughs> house. They bring in one piece and like a month later, there's like 400 pieces of macrame everywhere. So, you know, we, we just basically laugh and chat. And, and then we have serious conversations Friday nights as well about world events or, uh, people will ask great questions in the chat about spirituality or sometimes the grieving process or psychic development or p- paranormal things. So it, it really is a lot of fun. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of fun. And this is going to be wildly off topic and unrelated. And I could totally ask you outside of the interview, but I'm just going to ask you now sure, because it. it's it's happening live. Um, and this is not necessarily going to keep this as evergreen content for information, but when something's happening in the world, like it's going on with, you know, the Ukraine and Russia, where there's a lot of like, you know, people hurt, people dying. Does that impact the, you know, the psychic medium community more? Oh, like, yeah. Do you feel that across a large distance? Yeah, very much so. In fact, like most people, whether even if they aren't aware of their own abilities, even if they aren't aware that they could be empathic or psychically sensitive or mediumistically sensitive. Um, they often feel that even sometimes at a very physical level, right before crazy things happen and hard things happen in the world, like what's happening overseas, people will feel that in their body or they'll have this heightened sense of anxiety and they won't know why. And then all of a sudden something terrible happens. I think, yes, of course it, it does affect us because we're aware that we're feeling something is about to happen, but even if we don't know what it is, but I think actually more people, experience that than what they are even aware of. I think most people um, are sensitive to uh, subtle energy and um, so yeah, psychics and mediums, do we feel it? Yes. Do some of us see what's going to happen? Yes. Do some of us not see what's going to happen, but we sure as heck feel something's going to happen? Absolutely. Um, but I think everyone does on some level. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thought. You know, when people are like, I just like, it's, it makes me so upset and so emotional. And it's like, are you feeling emotional because you've been watching a lot of, you know, the, a lot of news programs or a lot of TikTok? oddly has been like really up on their, uh, mm. their posting of videos from the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, like, have you been watching a lot of that or are you just like feeling what's happening? Yeah. And, and maybe it's even both sometimes, because I think just because we're, you know, psychologically aware, mentally aware that something's happening doesn't mean that there's not also an energy component to it because perhaps the, the energy component drives the intensity of our reaction. Whereas the, the knowing about it drives our, just our awareness of it. Right. 
Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think more people I've noticed in the last five years, more and more people are identifying as empathic or energy sensitive or psychically sensitive. And, um, it is definitely something that is, is unfolding (laughs) on, on earth throughout humanity. The amount of calls that I get from people saying, Hey, like I am having these weird dreams or these weird experiences, I would say in the last five or six years has probably quadrupled at least. Wow. Or like, come help me. My kids are haunted. Like that one in the last <laughs> 10 years has been I- intense. <laughs> so many, so many kids creeping their parents out because of the things they're able to perceive. But if you think about this, and it's a little off topic, but if you think about, you know, the, the unfolding of the universe, I think that we are all always moving to a, a higher, a higher point of light. And I think that because of that, we reach certain thresholds within the expansion of our universe where people do become more sensitive to the world around them. And it's at times of big change as well. Um, and I think we're seeing that with the pandemic, with the war, uh, that's happening, all of that. I think people are becoming more sensitive, but the good news is that when they become more sensitive, they ultimately become more compassionate. And so there is also the chance in all of this for really positive change. I guess I got to write a pilot episode now and send it off to some producer for a, a show called help. My kids are haunted. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like the, honestly, the amount of calls that I get with that are a lot, or is it the other big one is, is it psychiatric or is it psychic? And I always say, maybe it's both <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. yeah, that would be, I think it would be an interesting show. I just get you on plane trips to wherever. And then I also fly in a psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it it's kind of crazy. I've had psychiatrists and psychologists both send me people over the years when they were, you know, they would, they would basically call me and say, Hey, Matthew, um, a little uh, weird, but I've got, you know, a patient or a client or whatever that I think is more in your line of work than in mine. And I would always say, well, how the heck are you going to send them to me without losing your license? Cause that just, <laughs> it's a little weird. And they would say, I'll figure it out. And then, you know, eventually this person would show up in, in my office and I would help them figure out their, their own gifts and abilities. But I think anytime something becomes unmanageable or something makes our lives unmanageable, then it's an illness, but it doesn't mean that there's a lack of psychic ability happening when somebody appears to be, you know, crazy. Yeah. Well, it leads me to some of the audience questions, which there's quite a few. All right, let's do it. So so people were active and they were asking a lot when I said like, Hey, Matthew's going to be on the show. They were like, Oh, and then my inbox just like exploded for like two days straight. (laughs) I was like, all right, here we go. Let me write this all down. So the first one that came up was, uh, do I take children to funerals? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I think, I think so. I do. I think obviously parents know their child, um, know their child better than anybody, but I, in my experience in working with both adults and children who are grieving, um, children, honestly, they tend to handle it better than most adults do for whatever reason they can accept it in a different way. I think, I think that they're, I think, yes, I think, yes, within, with the caveat that if it would truly destabilize them, then maybe not. But overall, I think that a lot of parents hold that back when in fact, um, it could be really beneficial. Yeah. And it came with the most asked question, I think, which is how do you talk to children about death? And I think that because 
most children that we're talking about are so young, like they're still taking in info about the world. Yeah. So you can just kind of give them like a fact of life. Totally. And, and they just like write that onto the hard drive. Yeah, totally. And and I think being real with them, I think being real with them, um, being real with them is is important. Letting them know that death happens, I think, is is vitally important. And and there's a million ways to explain it. In fact, there's a really good book called Freddie the Leaf, and I cannot remember who wrote it. I think it's sort of a Buddhist kind of book, but it is probably one of the best uh, children's books that I've ever seen and good for adults, to be honest. I, I don't think it's limited to children, but it, it looks like a kid's book. Um, probably one of the best I've ever seen in explaining death in a way that is comforting. So I think being real with them, letting them know what it is, um, explaining the grief, you know, the process of remembering the process of celebrating somebody's life. I think children, uh, are a lot more with it than what people realize. I think they understand more than what we give them credit for. And I think that when it comes to loss, I think it's important that they learn at a young age, the healthy process of that. Well, and this is probably the time where you, you know, sit and talk to the kids and you don't tell them like they went to a farm Right. Yeah. They'll be back someday. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's often a trying to dress it up, right. But who are we dressing it up for the kid or ourselves and having to explain it? Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that, but I, I think that being honest is important. Awesome. All right. Next listener question. And we touched on a lot of these a little bit, but I, I think it's interesting to ask them directly as, as they were asked to me, which is it wrong to grieve alone? No, I don't think it's wrong to grieve alone. I think it's important to ha- know to, to have some kind of a, a not alone system that you can you know touch with if you need to. I think it's important to have an awareness of what red flags and alarm bells should look like, um, and when to know that okay, you know what, actually, I shouldn't be alone. Maybe I need to call somebody. Maybe I need to go to a support group or call a crisis line or a friend or or whoever. Um, but I think there's a huge part of that process. It is actually very solitary. And I think it's, it's important that people just know what, what, what it looks like when they need help. And if they can do that, um, then I think it's healthy. Yeah. I think, I mean, as much as it helps to have, you know, friends around, like my friends have helped me through some of the hardest times in my life, but I think my most like profound grieving moments always happen when I'm alone. Like it's always when you're just sitting on the couch at night by yourself and you just like have that breakdown. Yeah. Like like I think that it always happens like that. Like I never have a breakdown around other people. No, same. Actually, I'm very much the same way. I I don't know about you, but it's like my tear ducts turn off when people are around. Like the worst thing could probably happen and it still wouldn't, you know, have that effect. So, um, and, and this is a good example of how everybody is different as well. I think some people really need that support in the moment. Other people need it in other ways. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's good to be empathetic in those moments. Like if you have a friend that needs to grieve with other people, like be a shoulder to cry on. It's really easy. Totally. Like you yeah. don't, you don't have to do a lot. You just have to be there. Yeah, exactly. And, 
and maybe even not give advice unless it's, it's asked of you as well. I don't know about you, but when I've gone through grieving or other hard things, people are always solution ready. <laughs> and sometimes that's not what you need. You just need to allow yourself to be upset and, and be angry and sad and a mess um, without trying to fix it. Yeah, I am always the solution guy where I'm like, I need to fix problems because that's been so much of my life is like, fix the problem that uh, I've had to kind of stop and step back. And I now try and ask the question like, hey, are we listening or are we solving problems? Uh, You know what? You and me both. I completely relate to that as well. And one of the one of the hardest things that I noticed uh, in my own life is when I have a friend or someone close to me that they lose somebody. Uh, I have to really try to not jump into that, help the person fix the situation, resolve the problems bandwagon, because every day, you know, I, I work with people and we're trying to basically not necessarily always solve problems, but, but help them in some way, help them to get through something. And, and it's a very active process. And so like you, I'm not always the best at the passive process. Uh, and it's something that can be really challenging. Well, it's hard when you see your friend, you know, obviously hurting, you want to like help take the pain away. Yeah. It's not really your job, you know? No. And and it may not even be beneficial either because part of the experience of that pain is acceptance. That's acceptance in action. And so if we interrupt that, then are we delaying their, their ultimate, you know, benefit? Yeah, absolutely. All right. The next one. What do you do with negative feelings about the departed? Hmm. So like they're probably meaning like anger or, or whatever. I think feel it, allow yourself to go through it. I mean, the, the truth is you're not going to offend them. Um, and, and, I, and I know this from a lot of perspectives, but as a, as a medium, especially who communicates with people who have passed away, they understand life on earth. They get it. They understand the things that they did, even if they didn't get it at the time on earth, they see it from a, an elevated perspective. And so one thing that I've seen happen over and over again in sessions is people that were, had really challenging relationships with the person that I'm doing a reading for come forward to explain their side of it or to let them know, yes, like be angry at me. You need to be, I deserve, you know, I deserve it. Um, I will help you through this process. I will send healing to the past for you. Uh, I see that happen a lot, a lot. And I think that it's important to not feel guilty for, the feelings just because somebody passes away doesn't mean that we aren't right. Yeah. I can feel where, you know, where these questions are coming from when they're like, you know, what do I do? Like, I'm still angry about something because, you know, whatever happened in our lives and then we never talked about it. Now they died. And what am I supposed to do with like, you know, I wanted to confront them about this. I think still confront them about it would be my, would be my, advice with that. I think get angry, yell at their picture, like whatever you have to do to let, let that out and put it in the place it belongs, which is within with that person, even if they're not here anymore. Also knowing that they can handle it. They they're probably there with you and you may just not be able to see it. They are listening to all of that and they're responding in a loving way always, even if you're not aware of it. Yeah. And that's where I got several questions that were obviously directed from previous listeners who are like, Hey, I know this person happens to be a psychic medium. So let me ask some of these questions. And one of those is like, you know, are they angry still? Like if they, if they passed on, are they still angry with me? 
No, not at all. In fact, that is one thing the spirit world <clears throat> has always told me is that everything is forgiven at the last breath. Like whatever, you know, difficult situation, difficult relationship, hurt, all of that. They understand it. When, when people pass away, it's like waking up. It's like with a, waking up with a full realization of everything that has ever happened and exactly why it has happened from every perspective. And so um, because of that, they view all of those things compassionately and in a way that on earth we just can't because we're not privy to all of that information and the inner workings of everybody involved in the situation. And so, no, they do not carry anger forward with them ever. They also don't judge our life choices either. Hey, there you go. Um, I think that's good, you know, for people to hear because I, I've definitely had people where like it was, you know, like the quote, it was just un- not clean. It wasn't yeah. a, like a clean break is what we all want. Mm. at you know the end of somebody's life and you just don't get that and sometimes you're like man the last time i talked to them like they're they were probably still pissed at me when they died yeah yeah and 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 i think what's important to remember as i just said is that i don't think they carry that forward i don't think so because um you know i think pain and and, in anger is is a type of pain I think pain dies at the hand of understanding. When we understand something, it no longer hurts us because we have a different perspective on it. And I think when we pass away, we get that instant elevated perspective. And so it doesn't, it, there's no reason for the anger anymore. Yeah. So I had another person asked, do you still, even though they've moved on, do they still, your loved ones still kind of come back around every now and oh, then? Yeah, totally. In fact, I think that they're with us all the time. Um, I think that they, they don't ever really leave us. They just, it's just a shift kind of, of, of state of being. And, um, I think that they're there with us in our happy moments. They're there with us in our hard moments. Uh, they're there with us even when we feel most alone, I think they're, they're around us and they can be with all of us at one time. They don't have to go back and forth between loved ones because there is no, uh, well, there's a different type of space in that dimension. It's not the same. There's no, there's no uh, barriers, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's kind of like looking at a, uh, a stat screen on a computer where you can see multiple items. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very much so. All righty. I have, I have pushed this one off for the entire episode, knowing that it is here. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with the, the email that I got that just like it, it broke my heart mm. to read it. Um, and I'm going to like try and read this uh, without having a breakdown myself, but it's just such like a, a succinct thought that they sent that I, I know they're, they're probably listening to this episode because if they ask this question, like they want an answer, mm. um, but it, it really like, it hurt me just to, to read it. And it is, will I ever get over this feeling of loss? Oh, that is a hard question to answer. Um, will I over, ever get over this feeling of loss? I think that getting over it isn't what we do with loss. I don't think so. I think that we accept it. We breathe through it. We acknowledge it. We remember everything. I think that we embrace it. I think that we can't view it as a mountain to overcome. 
I think that we can't view it as an obstacle. I think we have to view it as a process. And, and, and even though, even though grief is an expression of loss or a process of loss, grief is actually a gift. It's actually something that helps us to place honor to the love that we shared with somebody. And, and I think that, will they get over it? Um, I think that they will get through it. That's how I would answer it too. I think they are going to overcome it. I, I, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I don't think it's an obstacle. I think that it's something that we have to move through and build a relationship with in order to shift it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I, every time I've read this and I've had to rewrite it and copy it over to my notes page and I look at it when I'm preparing for this episode, you know, I read it and I'm like, I can feel that they're just like, they're still in the mix of this. And maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's been a long time, but they're like, they're still holding on to this. Like, what is this feeling going to go away? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I wish I could do with this person? I wish that I could just sit down with them and just let them breathe, like just hold space for them, let them let it out. And um, I don't think that anybody can take that kind of pain away from anybody else, no matter what words we say, no matter how wizened we might be or how familiar we are with people's emotional, emotional paths. I don't think there's any words that can take that feeling away. I think that's the first thing we need to acknowledge. And I think the second thing that we need to acknowledge is that um, the best we can do is, is sometimes hold space for somebody and, and allow them to go through it. Uh, and that's, that's heart wrenching It's hard, especially for people like me and you who are want solutions and we want this person to feel better in you know, four seconds or, or whatever, uh, it's brutal as the onlooker or the space holder. But I think that's all we can do sometimes is just be present and be a grounding for that person as they move through it. Yeah. And like, like I said, I've read this several times just because it's all they sent was one mm. sentence, one question. And I've had to like, I have to look at every word that they sent, like, when is this going to be over? And the way that they said, like this feeling of loss, yeah, it really made me look at the word loss when they said it. And it's like, there is no, like when we lose money, we can Mm -hmm. make money. There is a net, a net number in there somewhere where you haven't lost or gained anything, but you don't have like a net answer to this. There is no gain no. that makes up for this loss. No, and, and there isn't. We we can't replace people. People are not, repl- contrary to what the world would have us believe, people are not replaceable, not in jobs, not definitely not in our lives. Um, and I think that it's important to acknowledge that in, in answering this question is that there isn't anything that in the moment is going to immediately relieve that feeling. But I also think the beautiful part about that question is they said feeling of loss, you know, it's separate. It, it's a, an awareness of what has happened without, without, you know, they didn't say, will I, you know, overcome loss? Will I, will I not, you know, be in loss anymore? No, the question is, will I overcome the feeling of loss? And I think that that, already shows a separation. And I think that's a really good sign. Well, there you go. I hope, you know, I hope they're listening to this episode and they can, they can hear some of the things we've talked about and especially, you know, your answer to this question, which I think is really touches on, on overcoming things and not necessarily trying to like ignore that they happened or push them out. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and embracing, embracing the elements of grief, I think is, is important. I would definitely tell this person that um, they're not alone in what they're going through, that their loved one, and, and I truly believe um, this, I believe their loved one is very much with them. They're a part of this process. They're walking them through it, even though they may not be able to see or feel or hear or even know that, um, or it may go back and forth where sometimes they say, I believe they're with me. And other times they say, I believe they aren't. And that's okay too. But I think it's important that they know that, that at a universal level, they're not going through this alone. And that if they're open to talking to others about it, I think it's important that they know that there's a million resources out there for people that are really struggling through. Yeah. And I know I've, I've said this once before and with this show, it's hard to tell, you know, what things people are going to listen to and what they won't because they're going to like certain topics and they won't like others. But, you know, if you ever like have that moment where you need to reach out to somebody and you don't, know who to reach out to like reach out to me i do look at my emails i do respond to my social media messaging like i i am there for listeners who reach out Mm -hmm. to me and i would hope that if you have no one else like if you listen to this show like reach out to me you know i i'm someone (laughs) and you're a very supportive person colton and i think that anybody who's struggling would be blessed to be able to talk to you about whatever they were going through because you do have a very supportive nature and I would agree. (laughs) I think that would be a good thing. All righty. Well, I appreciate everything you've said through this. I know I've kept you here for quite a while, but I appreciate you coming on the show again and being the, the first person to ever do it. Well, thank you. I appreciate coming back. And I hope that your your listeners know that no matter what it is that they're going through, whether it's grief or some other challenge in their life, that it's not something that they have to start getting through. It's something that they are already getting through. And, and uh, thank you for having me back. I, I very much appreciate it and the time of all of your listeners. Yeah, of course. And we'll, we'll have to talk again about a, another topic to do until somebody eventually f- puts a petition out there to have you just be the co-host of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I would come back anytime. And if any of your listeners want to tackle any topic, as long as it's something that I have experience with, uh, I'm always happy to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show. You know, if you're out there listening to this, make sure you check out Matthew at all of his places. And I'll let him give him one more time right here at the end so that everybody hears it. All right. So facebook.com slash Canadian psychic. I'm Canadian psychic on TikTok, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and my website is www.matthewstavely.com. All right. Thank you again very much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast, everybody. Share this episode with other people. That's the biggest ask I can make for all of you. It really makes a world of difference when you say to someone that you know or have met, check out the Just Dumb Enough podcast. It's really good. It's not stupid like you think it might be. Beyond that, if you can leave a review, reviews are very helpful for climbing the charts and getting new people to see us that way, but really telling someone can make a world of difference. I had a blast down here in Georgia. I am leaving tomorrow, but a huge shout out to Chris and Mitch for hanging out with me and making this trip such an awesome experience for me. I really had a great time. Also check out Nimbus Tattoos on Instagram and drop by if you want to get some ink and find yourself in the area.
I have to say, their work is all top tier. Everything they do is the best of the best. Remember, you can email me here at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com if you ever have any questions, suggestions, or anything else in your mind. Also, never be afraid to reach out on any of the socials or just through the email if you are going through a tough time and you need someone to talk to. I'm always here. Lastly, we've got some major updates to the rankings. Number one, still the U.S., but even closer to being dethroned than ever before. Number two, India, not just holding their place, but actually increasing their hold on the number two spot. Number three, the U.K., having just taken the number three spot back on this list from newcomer to the list. Number four, Sweden. And finally, holding on to their spot in the top five with everything they've got, Germany. Pushing Canada down to number six, although I am sure with this episode that features my favorite Canadian, I'm sure those will be changing again very shortly. That's all I've got for you this week. I'll see you in the next one. Bye bye 